0: Welcome to another episode of Radio Zaza, short for Radio Zaddy, uh, the podcast that looks at life through queer tinted glasses or something like that, I don't really know. (laughs) And today again it's uh, me, Hannah Bestwick, and I'm here with Daisy Thurston-Gent and we're going to be talking about some more as usual queer stuff. Yeah, I mean tell
1: me, have you had a good week, Hannah?
0: Uh, well, I'm, I'm moving house, and, I'm, and so, no, no, I haven't a terrible week. <laughs> terrible yep. time. Um, no, just everything's in boxes, and I keep trying to, like, find things or realising I need things that are in a box, and then
1: I haven't labelled any
0: of them, which is really stupid. Of well, I've labelled, like, three of them, and so I've been digging around, looking for things. I needed my passport today, and I had no idea where it was, so, um, no, Daisy, to answer your question. I I'm don't actually really
1: know any queers who are super highly organised, I think, if you see that on a on a a cv or a dating profile just snap that one up um, (laughs) none of my friendship groups seem to be well
0: i I dispute that i feel like i am mostly very organized (laughs) i usually know where everything is in my house but all of a sudden i don't and that's what's really disconcerting um but yeah that's that's been my week what about you
1: yeah um it's been a good week um you know mild existential crisis aside um it's been a you know any particular reason for the <laughs> crisis? you know the country is on fire oh, um, it is. yeah uh, i went back into my office after uh, for, for the first time since march wow. which was a very strange and isolating experience they kind of zapped yeah. me uh, check my temperature when i went in um i was one of two people gun on the yeah <laughs> on the floor and it was yeah very bizarre we'll not be rushing back there anytime <gasps> soon um okay. i quite like the home i quite like the home setup you know i'm very lucky that i've got a desk um yeah you know, it's not always hidden under blankets and sitting on the floor, um, <laughs> as we currently are.
0: Yes, in a little tent. Well, that's the thing, because I'm, I'm going back to the office tomorrow, supposedly, just for the morning, because I've got the afternoon off to go to Ikea, very excited about it. <laughs> um big And I'm worried that it's going to be horrible. But I've, I've organised to go in with my manager. Who I, I like my manager a lot, so it's not really going to be too awkward. But we're the only people from our team going in, so it might just be... Mm. the ghost town it is you know the tumbleweed was
1: yeah it was very bizarre the people the poor people who work on um our security desks were kind of starved of <laughs> starved of attention mm. and they were just so happy to see some people um you know he took my temperature and i thought he was going to you know reach out and <laughs> reach out and hug me yeah. um which would have been um, lovely, Not allowed. We're in a different. <laughs> yes, we are in a different time now. Um, <laughs> I, I thought months. you said a different timeline. I was like, wait, wait. I want to go to the other one. <laughs> <I wanna laughs> yeah. go back. Let's just jump ship to um, to 2019. What were you doing in August 2019? Uh, I think I was about to go on holiday, so yeah. I went. I went on holiday to Italy
0: at the end of August into September. It was so nice. Yeah. I went walking around. I
1: had gelato. Yep. Oh my god, it was. Yeah. How many a free strangers did you hug? You know, did you pound I mean, a I... child on the back or a dog or? <laughs> oh, I touched a lot of dogs. Lots of dogs. Appropriately, but I touched a lot of dogs, um, yeah. and that was nice. This is it. I mean, this actually brings me nicely onto uh, what I've been researching this week. Mm. Um, so I was reading. Um, I bought a new poetry book uh, that was called the uh, Dead Animal Handbook. Um, which sounds uh, vaguely depressing, um, and, okay. but it's a poetry anthology put together by Cameron Awkward Rich and Sam Sachs, uh, who are two queer poets. Based is in Awkward America. Rich his surname? Uh, yes, that That's is that is their great name. Great surname. Okay, yes. Carry on. <laughs> um, yeah, Awkward being in your name. Very uh, <laughs> very apt for the queer community. I think. Um, can relate. So, and in this poetry anthology, um, so they put this uh, this this collection together um, based on uh, readings from live events and they said there's a phenomenal amount of poetry about um people's pets and about uh you know in particular like um you know events surrounding the maybe like the loss or the death of a family pet or you know seeing you know roadkill or seeing a deer at the side of the road or like working in you know, abattoirs or you know all that kind of stuff and they pil- they compiled this uh collection of Poetry about animals, and it's called The Dead Animal Handbook. And it's got various different sections. One of them is called The Canary's Job is to Die, you know, and it's, it's oh, very poetic and it has lots of quotes about, you know, life and uh, existence. Um, but I was looking through this book, and there's quite a lot of um, queer poets in the book, you know, um, Dinesh Smith features, uh, Ocean Vong, um, obviously Sam Sachs, and Cam Rich, Rich, um, amongst many others. And I was, you know, I started thinking, and I thought, is there a connection? between you know the family pet or pets and and queerness and queer culture and I started kind of lifting the lid on that um you know I was kind of thinking about like the importance of chosen family and how we structure family life as queer people um and you know maybe seek unconditional love to some extent that we may not get in our uh, that we may not have had earlier on or in other stages or in other areas of our lives as queer people yeah I really think there's a lot to that because like I was thinking as you said that I was like I'm sure
0: there's something in it that well a pet a pet that loves you is such a gift Mm. because there is especially with dogs for example there is nothing you can do really to a dog that will make it stop loving you and like even if even dogs that have been abused still love their owners and like no matter what you are or like how queer you are they're still just like down to be your friend, and yep. it's just really nice.
1: I think it's you know, and having that connection, I th- I just think there's something there, you know. Mm. Um, I'm not going to talk about you know the exposure to grief early on in your life, blah blah blah. I'm not going to talk about the trauma side of things mm. too much. I'm going to try and focus on um, you know, the joy and you know the structure of potentially taking what pets represent in queer art, and um, you know, also there's a connection between queer people having a connection to you know. Maybe animal rights and you know activism and you know veganism, for example. Mm. I think there is this connection between uh, the love of um, you know animals and queerness, Mm. and um, so particularly dogs and cats. um, Although we do feature some other animals in this uh, in this episode. You know, is it is is having a pet the kind of practice run for having you know starting a queer family? Um, And if Mm -hmm. we look at sort of childless relationships, um, how many of those couples, you know, same sex couples, have um, have pets um, i 've got some facts i 've got some figures, um, yeah, because there is like there 's such a, a stereotype of like queer queer people having pets instead of kids mm-hmm. because it 's not going
0: to happen by accident uh, <laughs> normally, and so you get pets because you have you want to create a family it 's quite a quite a drive to like build a family and, and have people around you that you can give to yeah definitely
1: right? you know having the giving yourself permission to then want um, you know want a, a family, whether that includes you know, offspring or not, you know, mm. whether you live in a big, you know, commune or, or whatever. And yeah. um, if, whether there are children there or, or not. Um, I think it's, you know, a good, a good practice run. Um, not to say that pets aren't, you know, thoroughly hard work, but um, <laughs> it can be, you know, sort of well, like nearly as hard kiss, for sure. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I did a bit of research about, you know, the history of um, uh, pets in, um, you know, family structures. And there was a lot of information about the Victorians um cool so i guess we could sort of start there um so throughout history uh pets are often seen as you know accompanies for uh, common familial outcasts mm. so that's a kind of common theme you know if we have um there's some clear stereotypes you know the the spinster the bachelor the orphan uh, the villain and of course the same sex couple and oh, all yes. of these stereotypes in victorian art and literature have um, you know, have an accomplice in the form of an uh, animal. Almost a familiar. Exactly. Um, and this research was uh, conducted by uh, Monica Flegel. And actually, you know, the information that she gathered is actually relevant today um, in the conversations about, like, the roles and the meaning of animals within our own social social practices. When did she write this? Like, as in, like, a long time ago, or is it quite recent? It's fairly recent. Oh, okay. um, yeah. So, it's yeah, it's Pets and Domesticity in Victorian Literature and Culture. Okay. And it's, you know, very much with the kind of queer queer relations, queer studies. So Fliegel suggests that animals and humans living together do constitute a family and that biological kinship is not the sole or even primary basis for family. So she's talking about how animals kind of disrupt this heteronormative um, and patriarchal mode of um, family being, you know, the norm. Mm. You know, that is pets may be more radical than we may have uh, made them out to be. Whoa. So two opposing functions we found Uh Pets can reinforce domestic ideology um, and encourage and regulate heteronormative human relationships, you know, a tool of interaction between the sexes. You know, a family dog can bring uh, keep families together for years because it is seen as an important um sort of glue mm, in, something you're working together with exactly yeah. and you interact with it separately but also as a family mm. um or the second um the second function of a pet is when placed beside like deviant characters it can be the symbol um of a new family norm as in like it can be an indicator that they're leaving or like so you can just have you know a new or a just new a idea of what family you know an orphan with you know if, you've got an orphan with a, with a street dog and yeah. that is still a mode of family and, you, and it still constitutes family basically is what Flieger yeah, cool. is suggesting. I have a nice quote that is uh, from Breck Radulovic uh, and it is uh, it is a lot to ask of a kitten to stand for the queer destruction of heteropatriarchal society. You know, it's a yeah. big job, big, jo- big job so for a kitten. That's so small as well. <laughs> it's so small and sweet. Um, so I think this leads me nicely to, um, if I may, examine one tired stereotype um, which is the lesbian cat mum. Sure. The lesbian cat relationship. Cats have lived as- alongside humans for, like, over 5,000 years. Yeah, yeah a lot I, I of heard once they were like, they're, like,
0: all basically self-domesticated.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I I, looked, I was looking at why, and there's loads of articles about this, you know, it's a real Pandora's box, you know, why is cat imagery so significant in lesbian pop culture today? And, you know, it's more than just this kind of lesbian cat relationship, it's more than just kind of throwaway trope, It's it, apparently it's true, Uh, Lesbians are more likely to parent a furry feline uh, than their hetero counterparts. Oh. And it's even become this kind of self-referential sort of in-joke in the LGBT communities. And I found, you know, I uncovered all these, you know, there's been art exhibitions about it, um, you know, (laughs) the wide world of lesbian cats, which was at New York City's Gay Centre um, Whoa. You know, there's this huge subculture, you know, comics, online zines, and of course, you know, a well-timed meme. Yeah. Um, Is there also like a lot to do with like uh, a crossover of, of between like lesbians and
0: sort of spinsters who were considered like witches? witches of course, yeah, cat- yeah. yeah.
1: No, there's a huge there's a huge connection. So there was an article I read by Dr. Rachel Cordman, uh, which said cats are connected with connected with deviant forms of femininity like witches spinsters and lesbians um so is this god forbid um so traditionally where you know modern straight women or feminists may have rejected the label of you know crazy cat lady um feeling it was too tied down to the historic association with being a witch or god Mm. forbid a spinster Mm. um lesbians appear to have like reclaimed that and run with it you know people's dating profiles feature cats and people say like proud cat mum and um <laughs> proud parents of cats and oh. it's just you know there's so much, you know, I would absolutely swipe right on the um on the profile that had a cat in more than yeah. you know, without even hardly looking See, at the I'm, human I'm cursed. I'm allergic to cats. So I'm a cursed Such a lesbian. I'm
0: so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. And my partner wants to get a cat, but which I'm just I I can't be in the house with a cat unless it's like one of those hypoallergenic ones, which Mm. is so expensive. And I feel so guilty because she would love a cat so much. And I just can't have This is like, you know,
1: it's like the, you know, the the nip it in the bud and saying, you know, I don't want kids straight away. It can be, you know, it can be a a huge point of contention in a relationship. Mm. We'll move on from that. Yes, goodness me. Um, So, some (laughs) facts. Um, LGBTQ women and non-binary people in the United States are more likely to own cats than all other US households. So that's, wow. Yeah, and that's from an Straddle survey in uh, in 2017. Uh, also more likely to own a reptile or amphibian. So do with that what you will. Um, yeah, yep, right. <laughs> Shout out to those uh, queer domestic tree frog families and those scary but sensitive snake owners. Oh. So I don't know, you know, so there is something there. You know, there's been, you know, there's been some research. Yeah. and you know childless queer folk are significantly more likely to have pets than childless straight people for example.
0: I wonder if there's uh, like much to do with the fact that like quite a lot of queer people suffer rejection from their families and so they need a companion they need um, Mm. like a sense of family more than um straight people that haven't been rejected because it's not that it never happens to straight people but like not for the same reasons obviously yeah so maybe it's a replacement like we don't there's that research that says you need to have X many hugs a day to survive, mm-hmm. to thrive, or mm-hmm. whatever. And like, if you don't have someone in your life or, or family in your life that will yep. be affectionate towards you, you need to replace that. You can't yeah, just yeah. not have it. Yeah. So if you're on your own in the world, you need a pet.
1: And this is, you know, this goes back to those, you know, stereotype deviant characters, right? Mm. You know, the the orphan, the bachelor, the spinster. Um, the villain they're all outcasts and Ooh, they're all don't, alone yeah too. they're all alone and it's like creating that new you know partnership and saying that this is you know this is a new form of family and it doesn't involve you know it doesn't have to be you know it can be a platonic kind of relationship it doesn't have to be you know sexual or familial or human to human mm. um it can be you know animal to human and it's just saying that this is you know a deeper connection yeah
0: yeah um so with the with the biological thing i was thinking about that as well as you said it that there's do you think that there's been an effect on sort of attitudes towards for example adoption because mm-hmm. of um like pet the rise of pet ownership for single people or like queer queer couples because my younger brother he so he's straight But he was saying that he was at at a party and he said to some girl that he'd only want kids, really, if they were his, if he had kids. And she called him, like, a Neanderthal or something. And he was like, what? What's that about? (laughs) And then he went away for a few months and had to think. (laughs) And I saw him the other day, um, a couple of weeks ago, and he said, you know, I realise that it is so, so, like, uh, such a caveman thing to be like, I only want to have my own children. And there's no reason why adopting a child... Mm. should be any less valid than having my own kids. Yeah. Because also what's to say that he might not be like he might not be able to have
1: kids like he yeah. doesn't know if yeah. he's like able to make babies. It's just about, you know, how you the frame you look at the world, is not it? Yeah. yeah. You, and I think a new lens
0: that it is it does come with a kind of more evolving idea of family like having pets to replace children or just be more accepting
1: of adopting kids. Mm. Yeah. And you know, I've the people I know who have adopted uh, cats and dogs uh, through, you know, through lockdown especially they are no more. They are no less obsessed um, than the people I know who have children. Yes. They are no less obsessed by their newfound uh, babies. Um, <laughs> There's no fewer photos on this. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> you know the naming, the outfits. It's all. It's all the same. Oh my god. Um, and that you know there probably is a gender bias in that in that stuff. Uh, another fact I found: Shutterstock has uh, 426 pictures of women with cats, but only 96 of men. Aww. Um, You know, and that's from. 2017, I reckon, the numbers have skyrocketed. Uh, yeah, because well, <laughs> cats years. come with
0: this idea of like femininity, don't they? And, and yeah. guys don't tend to have them. I love, like... I really like pictures of really buff henchmen with tiny kittens. <laughs> yes. I think it's really cute. Anyway, carry on.
1: So, uh, when embraced by lesbians, uh, the cat-lesbian connection is also about rejecting women's traditional social role and instead finding love outside the heterosexual patriarchal family. Uh, thus, for many lesbians loving cats is an intrinsic part of queer lesbian identity so modern lesbians may well connect with the independence of huntress wild witch-like connotations rather than this sort of domestic home comfort kitty mm. so it's about sort of looking back at those um you know those kind of more wild and feral connotations and saying yeah that's what i identify with okay and so i read this uh, an article by katherine lee who um was um kind of a a psychologist, and also um, was a teacher um, during the kind of Section Twenty Eight years, mm. um, eighties, yeah, yeah, and um, they wrote this really interesting. Um, Could you just quickly explain what the what Section Twenty Eight is? So Section Twenty Eight was um, a, a bill that was passed to um, sort of forbid um, teaching, uh, you know, um, homosexual family structures in, in schools mm-hmm. um, and Which removing is. it from the curriculum and. Yeah um making it illegal for teachers to you know discuss that um little statue yeah yeah oh yeah so you know she does talk about this um it's a, it's a very interesting um essay it's called keeping lily safe and it's about uh her relationship with going through um a sort of personal trauma and how that drew her closer to her cat at the time and it's uh, super super interesting and she has her notes from her kind of cbt sessions her own sessions and it's but she kind of sets up the, uh, the idea of the cat as, um, you know, the cat is this kind of independent being that uh, demands deten- attention on her own terms and is considered less people orientated than the dog. Um, so many lesbians reject traditional female roles. Uh, caring for cats enables lesbians to reclaim elements of caretaking in female identity without being subjected to the patriarchal pressures of motherhood. So it's kind of this idea that you can you can give it some love but then the cat is also an independent being and it's more of a kind of partnership and it's not about this you know need to protect. Um anyway the article kind of goes on to say how this relationship changed and when section 28 was introduced in the school that um that Lee was working in um you know she talks about how that relationship changed dramatically and her home life with um her partner um her wife became this safe haven and it became a very private existence and the the cat was seen as you know the cat was seen as the child that she perceived society would not allow her would not Mm -hmm. let her have um and she talks about you know how it's it becomes sort of devastating this idea of trying to keep this this creature safe and to protect it and um yes it was a really it was a really interesting article um a bit heartbreaking at, at times um <laughs> but it you know the idea that pets give stabi- stability um, and elevate a relationship to a family status you know it c- makes it more than a couple it is kind of a, a unit a family mm. unit but then of course the attachments are the same as you would have to you know a child or um you yeah, know whether it's you know adopted or biological anyway the the, the modern yeah the modern view is that Lesbians now can say um, quite happily that, you know, we're not afraid of being called dykes or witches or crones or hags. Um, We're not afraid to be called mad cat ladies. Um, You know, the cat knows when she doesn't want to be touched. She knows how to ignore men. She knows that there is, you know, that she is a wise and sacred companion. I think it's that stuff which maybe the modern um, queer and the modern lesbian is kind of connecting to. Mm. I feel
0: like there's something in that as well for, like, just the modern woman can associate, can like identify with the uh, the sort of independent—not independence, but like um, autonomy of a cat of being like, I only, I'll only take affection when I want it.
1: Mm, you yes, know, having
0: ownership <laughs> of themselves and being like, uh, no, I'll <laughs> love your, me now. Yeah, oh I'll scratch God. your eyes out if you touch me when I don't want it, but <laughs> I'll, I'll like roll over and show you my belly if I'm enjoying it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and I just think there's there's so many examples in you know in queer art or you know queer role models that have you know profound interests in in domestic pets so there was a documentary by national geographic a few years ago about a woman with 700 cats and it was narrated by none other than jane lynch who is surprise surprise hella gay uh, <laughs> spoiler alert uh so why you know why are we interested in pets and animals uh why are we devastated when Bruley the bulldog from queer eye died you know there was a huge out you know outcry on twitter and lots of people showing their respects mm. and it's not necessarily like a, a, a negative kind of ownership, but it is this kind of huge adoration. Um, you know, why does Carl Lagerfeld's pampered puss keep me up at night? You know, this is... You know, he so he died what? last year, right? <laughs> yeah. There was this... The BBC article was, um, you know, pretty much about uh, this cat, uh, Choupette, um, being named in his will. So, you know... <gasps> like an aristocat. Exactly. Exactly like an aristocat. So so he so Chippet, uh was given received some of Carl Legford's uh two hundred million dollar fortune. Um Chippet has over two hundred thousand Twitter and Instagram followers. You know, she's already earned three million pounds for her appearances in television um commercials and mm. you know, here's here's a great here's a great quote by um by Carl. Good old Carl. Um he revealed that he employed two maids to look after um the pampered animal. Who is said to have had four different dishes prepared for her each day served in fabulous bowls goodness me this'm like how do I become you know how do I become this cat? How do I get the life <laughs> of this cat yeah I wouldn't be pampered <laughs> i do, you know I do and there's this obsession I think with you know between queer people and and animals you know there's mm-hmm. lots of you know in hip hop there is meant so chica i don't know if you know chica um she's my flavor of the Of the month, uh, hip hop artist. Um, In her song uh, Balance, uh, Balances, she references a family structure. She says, uh, One day, yeah, I want a family. Already got a puppy. Now my child, the first of many, got hella dreams. I think that's lovely. And I'm like, Yeah, you know, this lyric is so positive. Um, Successfully raising a pet could be seen as the confidence booster that you know many queer people need to give themselves you know the permission to dream about a stable future and building a family and I don't think there is there hasn't necessarily been that many you know positive family role models necessarily in the media um you know when these when these artists were growing up and so they're having to create their own and I think showing outward affections of joy and you know Domesticity is, you know, is equally important as being like, you know, the lone wolf and the the rogue witch, and you know, I think, you know, whether or not it's conventional to, you know, have a family, um, it's still functional, which I, th- which yeah. I think is really nice and really positive. You know, there's, I just found so, you know, I just found so many, you know, we do have this uh, obsession um, as queer people with um, with pets, and I think we're way more tolerant of pets than we would be of children oh yeah I think
0: that's like a whole a whole <laughs> generational thing as well it's like I don't most of my friends it's don't soft. want kids at all mm. it's just it's hard work and it's so expensive and none of us earn enough money to raise kids yeah really. yet we're
1: probably like oh but Karl Lagerfeld's cat has four bowls of delicious like, yeah. gourmet food I must you know I'll just yeah. live off baked beans and also yeah and, and and just I don't know
0: I just think pets are such a lovely addition to a house and they, they're just they warm the, the house yeah in a way and like <laughs> I love kids, genuinely love them. I don't know if I, I'm going to have any, but I do know I'm going to have
1: a dog. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, so if, so if you've got... Um, so without the ties of children in you know, early 20s and early 30s, queer people are sort of... Have you ever, you know, broken up with someone and mourned the pet more than you've necessarily mourned the relationship um, you know, it's it's a really sacred kind of you know linkage between two humans, and where may, maybe a relationship is sort of broken down, you still have mm. this unconditional love. You know, stay together for the kittens, <laughs> not stay together for the kids. I also okay. Here's another thing. Um, I feel like queer people are way more tolerant of pets, um, are more likely to tolerate uh, their pets watching them have sex. Uh-oh. You know, even if it makes uh, one or both parties uncomfortable. I you know? am not comfortable with a pet watching me have sex. That's just uh, that's not a fact.
0: Uh, that's just some observation that's just a more
1: likely from my own findings oh field research <laughs> um, yeah I was, once with, I was once with his way too much information um, let me overshare for a minute uh, I was once in bed with someone who um, I would I caught her um, uh, stroking her cat while we were in bed together and you know afterwards I kind of I questioned her about mm. it and I said uh, yeah what's, what's that about and she said you know not because I find it sexually enhancing in any way but uh, because and i quote she felt guilty oh. she felt guilty <laughs> for the cat having nobody i was just like how long w-? you know like just no we had like 20 minutes like you know, before <laughs> before dinner time do you know what i mean like this is uh yeah i feel that you know queer people give a lot of um <laughs> put, you know raise pets on a huge pedestal yeah um and i think yeah and there is a connection i think between you know the queerness and uh the adoration and tolerance um, and importance mm. of pets, and especially you know dogs and cats in particular. Um, so that's what I've been yeah I've been researching.
0: That's really great. It's like the queer family, but like cross species queer family. Yeah, you know.
1: Um, and if I may, just have a here's a closing quote: uh, "To love another species is, in some ways, the ultimate queer act, because it challenges not only heteropatriarchy but the norm of human supremacy itself." Anyway, that was a love quote. It.
0: That's very good. Thank you. That was so good. I just thought it was a so lovely, you know, very
1: uplifting. And obviously there's huge wormholes you can go down to do with, um, you know. Pet death. Pet death. And, um, which also is a healthy thing to experience early on. Yes. Exposure to grief and all that. But no, it's, um, you know, the reason it's coming up, I think, so much in, um, in poetry and in literature um, for, for queer people is because of that importance. Mm. If you have a pet during childhood, you know, potentially you are placing more you know more love and affection and importance on that role um as an only child i put a lot of affection into into my poor cat yeah you know it's that companionship and it is that idea of unconditional love and acceptance you know mm. the you know even the most um independent um and sassy of cats is still going to you know love you for the for the 5 minutes that you're feeding it yeah um and you know potentially potentially maybe 20 yeah. minutes or so on a sofa um, you know, watching Killing Eve. but uh, And a dog is just, you know, those happy balls of joy that we don't deserve.
0: My aunt actually had, well, my godmother had a cat called Sassy because she was so <laughs> aloof. Uh, but she was one of my favourite cats. She was so soft. But she would just, like, you'd get about one minute of a reflection and then she'd, be, she'd start swiping at you, like, oh, okay, I'm done now. Yeah, we're done. That's enough. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, I mean, it kind of kind of does lead on from what... From what, I guess, it, I, it sort of leads on from what you were saying because I'm going to be talking about uh, queers in myths, mm-hmm. um, which I guess I kind of links with the witchcraft, but not really. I'm just—it's <laughs> a tenuous link. Keyword: uh, <laughs> something, something queer. That's how we link it. Uh, it's the name of the game. But um, so I, I really like Greek mythology, and I have like quite a lot of books on it, but I've never got through any of them all the way through because they're so dry. <laughs> and I have one that's obviously like. It's a, an old school book, and it's written in it in the front, like, I can't remember what the name is, but it's some little boy's name, and then, like, the year, and, like, what grade he's in, what class he's in. And
1: Prometheus. <laughs>
0: Prometheus. <laughs> uh, Beginning of time. Um, and it's, it's really dry, okay? So it's all just, like, this god was involved in this thing, and they also had, an, uh, like, a relationship with this, this other god. And so many of them, I was like, just feels a little bit gay, like a little bit gay so um I was looking to see in generally in like uh, mythology as a whole like where does the where does the queerness lie mm-hmm. is it more predominant in certain societies and more uh, cultures but no it's just like across the board like <laughs> most religious uh, narratives as well as mythology have um have queer themes in them and mm-hmm. like mythology and religious narrative like there is some overlap i'm sorry but there is because the greek myths used to be greek religion yep okay um it's almost as if we've always always existed almost as if so i um i have this quote which is in a world that commonly tells lgbtq plus people that they don't belong looking through the ancient mythology can uh, make maybe a place of respite too often we see statements suggesting queer identities are a new phenomenon or a growing trend we're told that our acceptance is a contemporary gift uh, and our histories are erased mm. okay so there there's a lovely uh as well quote from this researcher called Devot uh Paternaik, who wrote a book called the man who was a woman and other queer tales of hindu law so this mm-hmm. is hindu uh, he wrote a book on hinduism uh like queer tales from it which is just it's really lovely but it doesn't i'm going to talk about greek myths this time i want to do a whole one on like indian Mm -hmm. folklore like chinese japanese like uh, buddhist folklore as well as beautiful but his his quote was uh, myths capture the collective unconsciousness of a people and -hmm. that means they reflect deep-rooted beliefs and variant about variant sexualities that may be at odds with repressive social mores and mores are like social norms or social expectations yeah Okay, so there 's in the Greek myth there 's both like romantic and sexual affections uh, between different figures of the same sex, and like they 're figures, gods, whatever you want to call them, um but they are I know that some people will say like oh well they 're gods, so they don 't necessarily adhere to our understanding of genders. But that just makes them more queer, not less queer. Makes it more. (laughs) Doesn't make them exempt.
1: Yeah. Exactly. It doesn't mean that
0: they're less queer because they're not strictly speaking our genders. It just means that they're like um, an amazing amalgamation of every (laughs) one of us throughout the history of life. And there are, arguably, there are some queer scholars who think that like we, as a, as like a, a more modern society, have put our modern understandings of queer relationships retrospectively onto those myths right right but if you say that like two male characters are doing it regardless of your understanding that's queer because that's that's queer now and it would have been queer then yeah so it doesn't matter you're pulling got...
1: from yeah you're pulling from the his- the history yeah. it's not the other way around and
0: even if like the the myth back then said oh these two women lived together uh, in a house on their own and shared a bed and they were like super duper best friends and never had any ma- male callers ever <laughs> like Maybe that wasn't defined as queer then, yeah. but it sounds really queer. Yeah. <laughs> like it would have been queer even then.
1: Yeah, it's the equivalent of the kind of paparazzi saying, you know, gal pals. What gal are these pals? gals like, being pals they're doing? They're gay
0: regardless. It yeah. doesn't matter what you call them. The, the fact of their relationship is that it's queer. Yeah.
1: Their um, hombres,
0: you know, they're banging. Oh, yeah. But, okay, so I do want to call out something. So I read a couple of... I read quite a few articles. I read some Wikipedia. I read um, a good article on women in antiquity. And a few on Pride as well by Jacob Oggles, but so quite a lot of them seem to refer to this kind of it it was like a culturally acceptable relationship between older men and prepubescent teenage boys, okay, and it's a pederastic relationship. Mm. It was it was abusive and Mm. it was sexual abuse of these children. Quite a lot of researchers or, like, just articles, not, like, quite a lot of articles define those as queer. But child abuse isn't queer. That is a separate thing. And that, like, pederastic relationship, mm-hmm. they, yeah. those kind of relationships still happen today. But, like, it is it's a common phenomenon. and yeah. It is a phenomenon. And it was then, but... There's no connection with queerness. Yeah, it's not queer. So and negative? It, exactly connection. the same as well, I think, that there were some articles that referred to these to rape, male-on-male mm. male rape. Mm as queer and that's not the case like rape isn't queer so you can't you can't define it in that if that person doing the raping was queer anyway then they are queer but the act of like yeah. the fact that he raped another man doesn't make them queer like, yeah
1: it's not a consensual queer act
0: exactly and and that's you know in um in for example prisons we all like it's like almost a commonly common societal horrible joke that men rape each other in prison and that's not that's not seen as queer, because it's uh, it's not seen as gay because it's not. It's an aggressive act, and it's not it's not a sexual sexual relationship. Mm. Okay. So I just wanted to say that I'm not going to talk about those sorts of relationships in 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 this. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So going back to sort of the the. Understanding of myths and lore and like where they come from and they they develop as like an oral tradition usually like they're told uh, they 've been told since before we had like proper forms of writing mm-hmm. it's It evolves from this this desire as a species as we've kind of become aware of ourselves that we want to understand like why are we here why am I like yeah. this like why do I do these things We have this this yearning to not feel alone. Okay, and that's one of the reasons that we're so desperate to believe that there's aliens is because mm-hmm. we don't want to be alone. We don't want to be the only ones that are like that. And so we tell stories about our origins. We don't want about...
1: to be the weirdest ones out there.
0: Exactly. And it's the same for queer people as well. We we like cling on to stories of, of queerness or like queer characters or like hopes that someone is queer, even though like, please be gay dar, not just our gay dar. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> we don't want to be the only ones. And we know that we're not. Yeah, we want to we want to know. We want to understand ourselves. And yeah, understand. the radar
1: scans many, are,
0: many a yeah. terrain. Oh God, exactly. So um, yeah, I, I like over the years, especially in my early years of like understanding myself, I would like quietly read about queer history and like <laughs> quietly watch shows. Like I remember watching Skins and the, the season with Naomi and Emily having this like it was a it was like a an okay relationship, but the whole of Skins <laughs> was just a f- absolute like. Everybody in there was having a terrible time. Yeah.
1: A bit so a it wasn't like a nice,
0: yeah. happy like example, but I used to watch it in my parents' office with the screen turned away from the door so that if anybody walked in they might they wouldn't see what it was. Like they'd have any idea what was going on because <laughs> yeah. it wasn't explicit in that show. They just two like, girls going camping. Just two girls being pals. And I just it was my think it was like the first thing I was properly invested in but I watched it with so much shame Mm. but I needed it I needed to watch it. I needed to understand I needed needed stories that reflected the kind of hopes and dreams and desires that I had
1: yeah
0: and like I'm I still suffer a little bit from the shame of it now because I won't watch movies with predominantly queer themes especially for for women especially Mm. because so often it is to, for so often to me it feels like it's not done well and yeah. it so often is like a woman is getting married and then she meets this other woman and then suddenly she like is gay or something and it's such a and it's a lot of repressive character you know, yeah characters a lot of and... repression a lot of shame involved in yeah. them and a lot of like and I know that some people's experience is that sort of they come to realize it later in life but for, for a huge amount of us now that's not our experience at all. Mm. Most of us know from a very young age that we are different in some way. That's how we feel. We feel different. Yeah. And so it doesn't reflect my experience. So I, I don't enjoy it at yeah. all because it feels... There should
1: be exposure to joy uh, early on as well as, you know, the terrible times that... <laughs> exactly. And my
0: first exposure to, like, a queer storyline was this... It was a show called, like, At Home with the Braithwaites or something. I was, like, ten. I was a bit too young to be watching it, but I was watching it with my friend one of the characters said at the dinner table with her parents like oh i'm gay and the dad flipped out and he like i don't remember if he did but i had this feeling that he'd like flip the table and it was just awful and i asked my mum, like what does gay mean and she was like oh it just means that like she wants to like live like kiss that other girl and i was like oh no that's clearly a bad thing yeah yeah and like it's table flip worthy yeah exactly but uh, sorry getting back to the point um,
1: no, I wonder if straight people watch um, watch you know rom-coms and feel ashamed like they don't right it's no. not a thing no. um, so they why should is because it? many
0: rom-coms are awful yeah they should be like, cringing uh, yeah.
1: because the terrible acting you know if I watch a a queer film done badly yeah. um, I feel just embarrassed for my whole you know for all of us yeah, um, like, is that how you see us you know and I'm like this is not how you know I have to turn to my flatmates and say like that's not how it's done like that's not what it's like a promise yeah and there's like some you
0: know a a film recently like portrait of a woman on fire which is arguably like sorry um admittedly beautiful and like well done well made but it is set in a time when it wasn't okay to be gay Mm. and so there's so much shame and repression in it and like confusion and angst and like oh just so much heartache like, I just want to see a, a film where one. there's like some queers that know they're queer and then they like just. And get that's it not on the main it, story. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just like they have a nice time. Maybe they go on an adventure or something. Not that the fact that they realise they're gay. Or yeah, they're... where's
1: my wholesome Wes Anderson directed <sighs> queer exactly, film? Exactly, yeah. exactly. queer I need
0: epic. It. <laughs> but we're getting off topic. Sorry. Yeah,
1: there's your brief, Wes.
0: Wes, come on. Uh, so yeah, the The myths, so myths. The myths are great, uh, but there is an issue like i said they're, they're oral tales so they've been changed so many times and like people tell them in different ways in different parts of the country in different parts of the world um, mm. and so there's ones where like two gods will be lovers or then they will be enemies or they'll actually be brother and sister in another version so it gets it gets really yeah. like messed up people don't really stick to one particular storyline mm. but there's um most people tend to stick with um the version written down by this guy called ovid Okay, so he uh wrote out this kind of He had of, the best handwriting, I presume. Uh, the clearest of all the handwritings. <laughs> but he um he wrote out this narrative, this almost complete, like coherent narrative of all of, of not all, but like the majority of all the Greek myths. Um and so it is and it is preserved really well. So um it has la- it has survived and therefore we can use it as a really good Um, tool for understanding what the myths were at the time Mm. Um, and it's from so he lived uh, 43 BC to 17 AD so it was written a long time ago but it has survived and it's quite a good record of that and it's quite comprehensive
1: Thank you, Robert.
0: Yeah, thank you lad So it's in his Metamorphoses uh, it's a long verse narrative retells the ancient greek and roman legend unifying them in a sequence as a, uh, unifying them as a sequence and through the theme of the title so like it, they sort of metamorphose into one mm. another they move into another and as a sidebar so greek and roman gods can be like very very similar so the greeks um, colonized italy they set up rome you get the romans so then they're they, kind of
1: counter- counterparts
0: yeah they they then took over all of italy um, but the what, it was kind of a common practice then that if they colonised a country, they kind of absorbed that country's um, belief system. So you get lots of counterparts. So you get, like, the same god, but with an, a different name. Mm-hmm. OK, so they'll have almost exactly the same myths, almost exactly the same legends, but they'll have different names. I've stuck to mostly the Greek names um, just because they're the, the ones that I went with. I didn't want to mix and match, and I settled on Greeks. And like I said, I want to, like... I want to cover like some more. I tried initially to cover loads and loads of things, uh, loads of cultures in this one episode, but it was just it's impossible. impossible. It got really long, and so I was like, right, I can't be doing this. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta rein it in. Yeah, and the Roman, the Greek and Roman gods are really fucking horny. It's <laughs> like always doing it with each other. Like everybody's heard about Zeus fucking anybody that comes within a hundred foot, but.
1: Honestly you know, if they're not transcending you know genders and and human form human deity forms oh, they're just they're just they're fucking... unholy like
0: horny they're so raunchy um and male sex same sex relationships are actually really common in the myths um and there's there's actually not that much about women's pleasure in in the myths and in the mythos um and i think like there's some different arguments that say that this is because the um there was a taboo about discussing women's pleasure at all like positive or negative Mm -hmm. um and that is kind of also still how it is today we've recently had the release of WAP which is like people are not okay Mm -hmm. with it um and but there's also an idea that there's just most of the writings that have been preserved have been written by men and the men men who write them, their understanding of female pleasure and anatomy also doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be super great. There was one author who I haven't written down, annoyingly, I haven't got his name to hand, but he, he had this idea that lesbians, one of them would just have like a really big clit, like a dick-sized clit <laughs> that she would use to have sex with the other women. Um, so like... <laughs> it just it just screams of not being able to understand, not of not having an understanding. But um yeah, in, sounds like a
1: great party. But um... just
0: sounds like sounds like a great idea, but like <laughs> it doesn't exist. Um, and and bisexual behavior between men was very common in Greece as well, and in Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, there was uh, one one Roman emperor wouldn't have sex with men, and people were really shocked because they were like, "Oh my god, he's only attracted to women. That's so strange." um and so that's actually one of the reasons that olive oil was really popular in Greece and Rome is because it was a body-safe lube. I'm not actually <laughs> sure how safe it is, but it was a really good lube, and there was lots of bumming. <laughs> but they had that uh, the exact same um, sort of taboo that if you're the submissive partner, that's where the shame lies. If you're the active mm. top, you're like still seen as masculine. Yeah, if, manly. You're, if you're a
1: king and you know you've got you've got. Your, your pool boys and your <laughs> yeah and your, exactly your You're horny saucy chefs. saucy
0: men around like yeah. you've got to be the top. But the men who were the the s- submissive were still s- like looked on with some shame, mm. um, which is it, that was also the case in like um, in Norse culture and like it's, it's pervade, pervaded across like the globe. That is mm. that's what people think, and it's I believe it's it's to do with the idea that being submissive submissive is associated with being feminine, and femininity is what people perceive as degrading Mm. and that's just like a whole other like
1: terrible area like it's just it's a very harmful view Mm. it is the view that was had takes it back to that you know the idea of shame and you know it makes you more vulnerable or you know and perceived as weaker and then Mm. you know that you know makes you vulnerable for the attacks of society or whatever and
0: it's just associating it's also associating shame with queerness
1: Mm -hmm. you know and gods don't
0: care they're not they're just going to do their they're just doing it all the time mate (laughs)
1: Yeah. Honestly, I'm gonna get onto it. Um, yeah, if but, anyone tries to you know upset me ever again, I'll just say, oh, Listen, mate, oh my god, have you heard about Greek gods? Yeah. Um,
0: I'm with okay. them. but um, because they're mostly male myths, like I, I had to go like mm-hmm. really out of my way to find out about like female yep. queer myths. In the in the Wikipedia article for like LGBT themes in myths, it just it has one line that's like, uh, women's women, um, queer women do not really occur in myths and then it links to this paper and i was like that's bullshit yeah don't give me that because i i have i have viewed things as queer when i've read them so Mm -hmm. i actually read this book by this woman called christine downing who is amazing it's not a book so it's an article and it is so good i'll link it in the show notes because you just bound it and published it as a (laughs) so good i'm gonna fucking publish it if i can ever one day it's called lesbian mythology beautiful love it well done and uh yeah it does yes. what it says on the tin. so from from that i got quite a few of the examples that i'm going to go into so i'm going to tell you about some of my favorite ones because i thought you know, there's Ooh, a lot yes, to be said for uh, giving you the history of it but there's a lot more to be said for giving you examples first off classic was apollo so he was like this uh this eternally youthful beautiful man uh he was a god of archery music dance truth and prophecy healing and diseases And like a bunch of other stuff, including poetry. Jack of all trades? Jack of all trades. Um, he had a twin sister called Artemis, who I actually mentioned later on. But Apollo was—he oh, had the most male lovers of any of the other Greek gods. Yes, okay?
1: Apollo. And
0: so he was clearly like this hot piece of ass. Like he was so handsome. Like he's always posing, sort of nude, leaning back. And um, I, I read in one place that he oversaw the gymnasiums. Like that was his thing. <laughs> and guys, I've got
1: the gyms. Don't worry. Don't worry. All these. And in Greece, the men oil. used to
0: work out naked. So he was just like overseeing these gyms with all these like hot toned buff. buff men all over the place. Like obviously he was gonna like,
1: yeah, I got this guys. No one else needs to be He's here. Just like leave
0: me with it. It's fine. It's fine. I'm here just and yeah. So clearly he had a good time with that. Uh, he was seen as like the most beautiful god and like ideal, uh, the ideal like youth. If that's was. was just like a mm. like a hot young man um as opposed to a hot old man. Um And so. I've got here that he was, like, considered the most Greek of all the gods, which is interesting <laughs> considering how queer he was, which is <laughs> kind of cool. Yes. And in mythology, it's Hyacinth, who was a, a beautiful Spartan prince, who was Apollo's, like, main man. Oh. So um, Hyacinth, I think he he died in battle and it was just, it was very tragic. But um, uh, But, yeah, he chose Apollo as, like, He's also main man, so it's a mutually exclusive, Aww, yeah, like, love ya, love ya, both very hot, like, tone, rip lad, yeah, yeah. power couple. It was amazing. And then there's, um, interestingly, Aphroditus, who has an equivalent sort of af- uh, hermaphroditus, okay? Mm. So this is a... Her, Aphroditus herself was a god with a female body overall, okay? Overall look and presentation, like feminine face hair breasts uh, and like hips and things like that but then also had a dick so she would she's often like shown in statues as a woman but then just like lifting a skirt up being like <laughs> check it out and almost always fully erect in these statues <laughs> like um so she's described as a male Aphrodite Aphrodite sorry male Aphrodite but she's the goddess of uh, sexual love. love um yeah so there's like it's that she's a she but also so they but also always refers to as a goddess so mm. she, she is a goddess yeah transcends all gender because god goddess. exactly exactly she is who she wants to be doesn't matter if she has a dick she's still a woman and uh, hermaphroditus which is like a, a kind of associated version is a god not a goddess um and he was the child of Her- hermes and Aphrodite, so mm-hmm. hermaphroditus uh, is the name that you get, um, and was the god of both male and female sexuality mm. because his uh, parents were the gods of, of the sexuality. One of the festivals for Aphroditus is apparently so it sounds so good. Uh, the men dress as women, and the women dress as men, and they have this big parade <laughs> down the street, presumably with loads of drinking. Um, yeah, just to just That's to crazy. celebrate Drinks. that god.
1: That sounds great. I mean,
0: have we got tickets? Exactly. Uh, I want to go. Artemis. Okay. So she is the one that like, when I first read her, I was like, I just feel like that's really, really gay. Um, So she's the goddess of hunting and hilariously Chastity um, and had a bunch of female followers. So there were mortals, maidens, demigods, like these nymphs who are these beautiful spirits and they all like swore loyalty to her. So she was the daughter of Leto and Zeus, okay, and the twin of Apollo, like I mentioned. Mm. And she's the goddess of, like, wilderness, hunting, wild animals, lots of those things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and she's, help, she's, like, really, I don't know, kind of butch energy as well, but, like, you know, uh, not butch energy, uh, cottagecore, yes. <laughs> I want to <say. laughs> And And um, so Artemis is very protective of her, quote-unquote, purity, if that makes sense, because she didn't want to get married to a man at all. She wouldn't. Mm. And so all her followers are virgins. And anybody who tried to, like, quote-unquote dishonour her or tried to seduce her, she would kill or, like, severely punish. Mm. So I think she turned one guy into a stag and then all his mates hunted him down because they thought he was a stag, which was really cool. What a way to go. Exactly. Um, And there's one story of uh, Callisto, which is one of her followers. Zeus tried to seduce Callisto by appearing to her as Artemis. So that's a mean trick it's a mean nasty it's, like trick. it's trick. not cool and the end of that story is not great but like um clearly he was like how can i be attractive to the callisto i'll be artemis who is the
1: most attractive person i can think of? exactly
0: two sexy ladies irresistible getting on in the forest with all their other harem of women in my opinion sounds great uh yeah, <laughs> i'll take the arrow through the heart if that's exactly if if that's, that's what it takes night. if i need to um, and then there's uh, the Amazons. I think you've, you've probably heard of the Amazons. So, yeah. so uh, Wonder Woman is supposedly an, an Amazonian woman, and she was it was a woman's only, women's only, a woman only tribe, mm. and they were like these warrior women. They were incredibly powerful, strong, like accomplished hunters. And they were also apparently, like in in one one writing which may be a mistranslation, they they cut off one of their breasts, mm. um, every one of them, to uh, aid them with uh, fighting and hunting. Because if you, is that
1: where your bow and arrow goes? Yeah,
0: I was going to say if you've done any archery, you pu- have to pull the string back uh, tight against your chest, mm. and if you've got a boob there, kind of gets in the it's way. It's coming off anyway. Exactly. So just like hacked it off, and they also used to get together once a year. With the uh, Gargareans, which was a male only tribe, a male-only, so probably their other gay cu- counterpart tribe, they'd get together once a year, do it, make babies. If they had any sons... <laughs> they would the one day their... for procreation. Exactly. If they had any sons, they'd give them back, and they'd keep the females to <laughs> yes. themselves. It's just
1: like uh, that episode of Rick and Morty, the boys get to play outside. So, this yeah. reminds me a lot of uh, the, uh, some of the, the private schools in Cambridge uh, when, when I was growing up. <laughs> There was sort of a, a fornication field, I think, separate like between the two. Between the two, yeah. <laughs> between the two Actually, schools, one of my friends
0: <laughs> was telling me about that. So she went to a girls' only school, but yeah. it was, they always have a counterpart school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they'd always be like, "Oh, we're going to go hang out with the boys at this school." Super myth, yeah, mytholo- mytholo- yeah. <laughs> mythological, yeah, um, Yeah. So I really like that one because I remember um it just being like I think I remember hearing about it when I was young, and I was like, Oh yeah. Go to a women-only tribe. Yeah, no, no particular reason, yeah. but like, yeah, I'd give it a go. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> there's also Athena. Okay, so also called Athena by some people. Yep. Uh, Downing, Christine Downing, wrote about her, and she said, in Downing's words, she seemed to deny her femininity and identified much more with men. In myths, she is strong and powerful and brave. She's like self-assured. She's active and creative. And Downing also pointed out that um, she is indeed still a goddess and she is indeed still divine regardless of the amount of amount of Mm. writing around her like identifying with being male rather Mm. than female so Mm. it sounds like quite like a trans um a trans character or um alternatively yeah exactly um so downing wrote what i thought was actually quite nice she said a theme may help us to recognize the obvious that contemporary lesbians who are uh, who choose or are given the designation butch are women and not men in women's bodies. So she, she, um, Athena was like the goddess of war, strategy, wisdom, like all these things that are traditionally uh, associated with like maleness. Mm. But she was praised for still being feminine and female I'm and not denied female, her femininity yeah. because she was good at these quote-unquote masculine things, yeah. which I thought was really lovely. Um, and then, you know, she's uh in the roman mythology she's the goddess minerva um i just wanted to point this out which is always accomplished by her owl and the <laughs> goddess of victory nike the owl is also like a symbol of wisdom so she's super cool and smart also love it these um, are some great role models yeah exactly so zeus actually uh tried to get athena to marry a dude uh he he don't remember but he's like a god of uh, like metalwork and things like that super manly super buff um so when they were about to consummate the union athena vanished from the bridal bed <laughs> leaving him to like come on the floor
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then i was
0: like oh convenient yeah, i've been there <laughs> um but still i thought it was it's really cool these are just a, like just a few because i didn't didn't want to go into too much detail because there's also a lot of things that were sort of this could be seen as gay this could be seen as queer I and mean, there's also some stuff about sappho who was a, a real poet so i didn't want to include her because mm-hmm. she was a real queer poet that a lot of people even like changed the wording of her poetry to make it straight but like mm. these queer myths just show how broad a spectrum of like human sexuality and identity was understood even in ancient greece at the mm. turn of like the millennia like bc ad era in that we knew there was more to life than just being like cis and het, yeah. and it's reflected in this way that is immortalized through the storytelling that we have. And yeah, that you yeah. can be anyone and anything, and like everyone, everything's a spectrum. You are at both times, male and female, because we can't. We're not just born in a box, each. Yeah. And I just, I love that it's reflected in these, like this, these myths and these lore, yeah. which reflect how we as a species have tried to understand ourselves over the years and it's not new mm. we're not new it's yeah.
1: timeless yeah and it's I just timeless love that. it's inclusive if anything you know it's it's if it's complicated now it's only because we have made it complicated yeah, unnecessarily exactly.
0: absolutely and yeah I just thought it was great and I wanted to to cover some of those off and
1: uh please look forward to more oh they're know. so great that's a really solid list of of role models and yeah as you say it's just you know they're not they're not worried. They're not looking at the binary boxes and how to how to retell the story in order to make it you know safe for for the younger generations and for kids or appropriate. You know it is, you know it's super yeah. appropriate because it and was, one of
0: the great things about it as well is they don't offer explanation. Yeah, they're just like Get oh yeah, program. like <laughs> yeah, like Artemis and uh, Callisto they were fucking yeah. Why do you? Why do you care? Why? Or like yeah. they just were? You want to okay? hear about
1: all the super in, uh, other interesting things they were doing, not just you know. Yeah, don't she don't fucking just focus turned, turned them
0: into a man to a stag. Clearly, that's more important than yeah. The, he wronged her, yes. so let's yeah.
1: let's talk about that let's exactly. And process. it's like
0: the the stories are really really human and really hilarious at times. And I just I love them so much.
1: It's a great yeah. It's a really nice um thing to look at with with the queer lens and. Uh, Thanks for doing yeah. Thanks for doing the leg legwork. No, no, it's all right. There aren't you know you need we need that book published or the article published as a book so that you know. Yeah, I'll I'll
0: link it because I think it's you can download it. It's not you don't have to pay for it. It's just as soon as you click on the link, you'll get a download for the PDF and it's the information is out there and it's just curious to me that it's not so easily accessible. Like Mm -hmm. it didn't take me that long of searching, but if I'd just been to look at Wikipedia, I wouldn't have learned about a lot of the stuff I read uh, Mm -hmm. just talked about. Yeah. Thank you. No problem at all. I guess uh, I'll see you again in two weeks. See you in two weeks. Good luck with the move. Thank you very much. I'll let you know how it goes. Maybe we'll have a new place to record uh, by then instead of this little tent that we've got. It's actually been falling on my head this whole time (laughs) and like messing up my hair. So hopefully we'll (laughs) have something different. But yeah, I um, I guess bye then. Goodbye. See you later. See you soon.